Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey everyone, it's Sean, and our interview today was uh, another profession that we haven't really had any experience around, so it was cool to talk to someone, get a deeper dive in. It's something that everyone knows about. Obviously, uh, you know, animals are a huge part of our world and our lives, so we got the opportunity to speak with a, a zookeeper today. Uh, let me see what her exact title is. She is an outreach specialist keeper at the Nashville Zoo. Um, so obviously very well-spoken and helped us understand more about the career in the field. And, you know, working with animals is no easy task, uh, especially when they're elephants and tigers and lions. Uh, I think people struggle to, you know, keep their, their little tiny 11-pound dogs in check sometimes. So it's cool to see how someone can, uh, you know, help a wild animal. And that's something that we definitely discussed today is, all the good things that zoos do. Um, I think there's sometimes a stigma around, you know, they're profiting off of taking these animals, wild lives away. Well, you know, it's not the case at all. Um, something that we dive into more in the interview, but it's, it's a lot of conservation and uh, rehabilitation for animals that could not survive in the wild. So a lot of great things there. G, what do you think about today's interview? Yeah, I love her process and what a unique profession to have. Um, you know, and we talked about some things I didn't really think we were going to get into. We, you know, a lot, we talk about mental health, depression, but something I didn't think I'd hear from, uh, you know, a zookeeper per se is making connections and not building bridges and the networking. And I think that's important and valuable to anybody in any profession, really, especially with, you know, social media and the way that our world is going nowadays. Uh, those things are so valuable. Um, so there's great insight to, to things that you wouldn't necessarily think that you would hear in an interview with the zookeeper. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Another good one. And let us know what other professions you want us to interview. Uh, we're interested to hear your guys' opinion. So you can reach out to us at any of our social media, Adversity University on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. So thank you for the support. And let's kick it on over to Johnny Payne. Today's guest is getting her master's in biology and has an undergraduate degree in environment and natural resources. She has an amazing job and one I think a lot of people have considered during their younger years. She works with animals and is an outreach specialist keeper at the Nashville Zoo. Thank you for joining the podcast, Johnny Payne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking with you all today. We're excited to have you. And Johnny, when did you, or when did you know you wanted to work with animals and what is the process to becoming a zookeeper? Yeah. So I, like a lot of people in my field or people that work with animals, I knew that I wanted to work with animals when I was a little kid. Um, but I thought being a vet was like the only thing you could do to work with animals. Um, but I didn't realize I wanted to be a zookeeper until I was almost finished with college. Um, and so what I had to do was change my major. I didn't necessarily have to do that, um, but it was a better choice to switch my major um, and study more about uh, environmental sciences, um, and conservation and natural resources, which is what I majored in. Um, and then after you get your four-year degree, in most cases, you just have to get your experience. So I needed to get my foot in the door networking anywhere and everywhere is like the number one thing that you need to do on top of experience. So I just started working at the Columbus zoo. Cause I am from Ohio and lived in that area. And I took a job in the admissions department. Cause I got the good, good um, 
what was an opportunity, but the good advice to just get my foot in the door. So I did that for a year and got to meet all sorts of people and then was asked to do an internship that hadn't even been posted. It was a brand new thing. Um, and someone said, Hey, I think you'd be a good fit for this. And it was finally, uh, heading more in the direction that I wanted to go. So I had to intern with the education department there. Um, and it got me the better and more connections that I needed. Um, I got to meet a lot more keepers and I moved my way up, but still being seasonal for several years. Um, but finally into the animal care side of things. And that's what set me up to finally get a full-time job. But I had to go all the way to Texas to get my full-time job, which is what a lot of people have to do in this field. Not go to Texas, but travel. <laughs> would you say that there's a certain path as far as education is concerned that would set you up for success? Or is it kind of like, it doesn't necessarily matter what you do as long as, like you said, you get your foot in the door and you get the experience? Um, I think it depends on the zoo that you may want to work at or the facility you may want to work at. Um, in a lot of cases, they just want you to have a four-year degree. Um, but in some cases, if you've already have tons of experience in animal care, sometimes that's fine, again, depending on the facility. Um, but if there's like a zoo, like one of the top zoos that you want to work at, if you want to be at San Diego, um, which I don't have any experience with any of their hiring managers, so I don't know 100%. Um, there are majors that, especially out in California, that you can actually go to school to be an animal trainer or a zookeeper. Um, so if this is like, you already know what you want to do, those are really good programs because then you already get the hands-on experience and the networking done while you're in school. Yeah, I was thinking that that four-year degree sitting in a classroom doesn't really help when you have to handle an elephant live, right? So yeah. that hands-on experience is definitely good. And uh, what's the hierarchy like? You know, are there people who kind of have to do like the bad jobs um, on their way up to the top? Or do you work with like a certain set of animals and do everything for them? Or is there one person whose job is kind of, you know, bathing them and picking up the poop? So that also depends on the zoo. There are some um, programs and it's not like, say, if one zoo does it, it's not through the whole entire um, facility. So there are different departments that take care of different animals or different areas. Um, but some shows teams that do shows with animals, sometimes you'll have husbandry specialists. So they're the ones that clean up after the animals. So they get all of the nitty gritty stuff done throughout the day. Um, and then you'll have your trainers who do mostly the training with the animals and the shows with the animals. Um, but that's not super common, but you can definitely find that. And then other than that, sometimes you might have to take a different job that isn't necessarily what you want to do. So that might seem more of like the lower job. Um, but it just depends on the person um, to be able to get to that. But everyone does all the dirty work all the time. So I'm a keeper too right now in my position. So I'm a little bit higher. I'm not like a lead keeper or anything, but even the lead keeper and the supervisors when they need to, they all, we all do the dirty work. Um, and so I'm an animal ambassador keeper as well. And I've, that's the only keeper experience I've had. I've never worked with tigers or elephants or rhinos or giraffes. Um, I've only ever worked with handleable animals that we need to, everyone builds a trust relationship with their animals. 
but for us, we have to handle our animals. Um, so a lot of times if there's something that might end up being a little bit more stressful for an animal where it could break down a relationship, sometimes the supervisors have to take that dirty job and kind of ruin their relationship with an animal just so that we can keep our good relationship with them. And that leads me right into the next question. Uh, what's the strongest emotional connection you've made with an animal, obviously besides your dogs at home? Yeah, um, I don't, I think we make emotional connections with a lot of our animals. Um, probably my first one was when I was in Texas. I, I love opossums. There was one that we had, his name was Sonny and I freaking loved him so much. And my supervisor at the time had even said like, if he ever goes missing, I know whose house he's at. <laughs> um, so finally, just a couple years ago, I finally got my little like tribute tattoo on my thigh and it's of Sonny. Um, Cause unfortunately they don't live that long. Um, so I think he was four, which is old for an opossum when he passed away. So I think he was like my first. Um, right now I'm obsessed with uh, one of the porcupines that I work with. He's a prehensile tailed porcupine named Charlie. Cutest thing ever in the entire world. That's super cool. And going into it, do they tell you like, don't get too attached to these animals? Cause one, like you said, some of them, their lifespan isn't very long, but also I know that sometimes they can get transferred to different zoos or different places. So do they say like, try not to, or is it kind of like as attached as you want to be? It doesn't really matter. I'm sure there are some people out there that tell people not to do that. But for the most part, I've never heard anyone say that unless they're already like, hey, we already know that this animal is leaving. Um, so like, but we need to form that relationship. Um, animals like, so we work with a lot of parrots um, and a crow, but they're very, very intelligent and they can form really strong relationships with people. So in a lot of cases, parrots and macaws that are in a zoo um, or like I guess places that take in macaws rescue macaws they're from previous homes and in some cases they live outlive their owners because they live a very long time but in other cases they attach themselves so if you two live together and then one of the macaws was like I love you Sean and only you and I hate Garrett um, and then something happens to Garrett and he's, or sorry, if something happens to Sean and he's gone, that macaw still is going to hate you. Um, and so they can be very destructive. Um, they're very smart, very nice, but they just can be a big problem. So sometimes that happens and then they'll get donated to zoos or have to go to a rescue. Um, so in some cases, we need to build very strong relationships with our parrots so that they'll work with us, but we can't just be that one person because they need to be able to work with the other people on the team or if I leave or someone else's leave leaves then that parrot still needs to have a good relationship with everyone else that's there um, so that's the only time people are really like you need to watch yourself um, so that way that one animal doesn't fully attach to just you yeah, and it's funny that you say it like that because normally we think of animals as giving us emotional support, but obviously it's very evident that, you know, humans give animals emotional support too. So kind of into our next question, how important do you think having an emotional support animal is or even, uh, you know, being an emotional support to, to an animal? Um, I think it's very important. There are a lot of people that need service animals and need emotional support animals, and that's what gets them through whatever they're going through. Um, and then for animals, again, I mean, 
there are a lot of animals that you know are very intelligent, like parrots, but then there are other animals that maybe you don't necessarily know how intelligent they are, but they do rely on someone else. And if they're a social animal, then they rely on either those other animals that they're with or their keepers or caretakers. Um, and so again, we've been talking about parrots. There are a lot of cases where um, things like that happen and they can, you call it self-mutilate. They'll pluck their feathers so much that they won't regrow. Um, they do the same thing as sometimes you'll hear of old couples that have been together their entire life and then one passes away and then the other one they're just so grief stricken they pass away. That happens to parrots sometimes. They just get so sick after their human either leaves or passes away or whatever happens. Sometimes that can happen as well. So definitely it goes both ways. I heard this story a long time ago. I think my elementary school teacher read us this book, Where the Red Fern Grows, I believe. It was mm -hmm. And I think that's one where, yeah, there's two dogs who are always together. And then when one, one passed away, the other one did very shortly but um so on that side of that coin uh you know pets are a huge part of families and personally for me putting my dog down was one of the hardest days of my life so far um how hard is it to to lose those animals that you have emotional connections with and what are some things you've learned to do to help mourn those losses yeah um it's definitely very hard because they're not our pets but we're with them all day, every day. So we form that connection with them. So it's very tough when something does happen, um, if they do need to be put down or whatever. Um, but, and it's, you have different connections with different animals too. So sometimes it's a lot harder when some animals um, are whatever, if something happens to them. Um, I think the nice thing is that we still have a lot of other animals that need our care. Um, so that kind of helps us focus in. Um, but also if you're in that type of a field, same with like doctors and nurses, you kind of see a lot of things. And we work with a lot of animals that just don't have very long lifespans. Um, it's not that you get used to it, but you just kind of know in the back of your mind that something might happen. Um, but we just, we grieve like a pet if a pet would die. Sorry, I don't yeah. know if you can see my dog. He like the one that doesn't get along with other people or other dogs. It's like growling out the window. Oh, My dogs sit here and bark all day too. I'm surprised they're not barking right now. But yeah, it's funny how you talk about, you don't really get used to it, but it kind of like thickens your skin a little bit. Not to say that it makes it easier anytime, you know, you lose an animal, but especially in your field, like you said, you're around it so much or around similar or similar uh, circumstances that it does thicken your skin a little bit. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I, I was just going to say the nice thing about uh, being in our field is that in a lot of cases, because they're in a zoo, they're very well taken care of. Um, so most cases if an animal ends up passing away, it's usually old and it's been going through something. And so you've already been prepared. And sometimes you're a part of the process of sitting down with vets or at least your supervisors so they can sit with the vets to say like it's time and it's what's best for the animal. Um, just like you may do for your dog or cat or whatever pet you have. So it make, that makes it a little bit easier too. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what goes on at zoos. And I, I think it's because of lack of knowledge. And uh, this next question is a moral question a lot of people think about when they're at a zoo. So how do you feel about the fact these wild animals are in cages instead of free to roam with their species? And what are the good things zoos do to make it worthwhile? 
Yeah. So that's a very common question. So uh, earlier I had mentioned to you guys, I have a second job that I have to go to later. And one of the guys uh, that works with me thinks that it's the best thing ever that I'm a zookeeper, but he had gone home and said that he talked to his brother and his brother's girlfriend and his girlfriend has that feeling that like, it's not okay. Um, and asked me if that was true. Um, so it's kind of funny that he just asked me yesterday and now we're talking about it. But again, it's something that we hear a lot. Um, a, if you want to visit a zoo, I tell people do your research because zoos did not start out how they are right now. Like that is an honest to God truth. Um, but a lot has changed over the last 50 plus years. Um, and, but you still need to do your research, 100% do your research before you visit any sort of an animal that, or any sort of facility that has animals, um, or calls itself a zoo. Cause there are some that call themselves zoos that probably are not. Um, but if you talk to a majority of zookeepers, we do not want the animals. Like we don't want them here at the zoo. Like, I don't know if I'm wording it right. I am wording it right. But like as a whole, we would rather them be out in the wild. Um, but in a lot of cases, there is no wild left. Um, there are some animals that only exist in zoos today because we have them. Um, <clears throat> uh, and they're very well taken care of. So a lot of times that people that say they don't belong in the zoo or they're like a lot of people look at animals, they're like, oh, it's sad. Like you can't look at majority of animals and tell that it's sad. Um, like dogs are also, sometimes they'll compare, I'll ask people, sometimes I'll see an animal and say like, why, why is it sad? And I say, why do you think it's sad? And they'll say, this is how it looks. And that's how my dog looks. My dog is domesticated animal. It's not a tamed animal or a wild animal in a zoo. They're completely different. Um, you know, it's taken thousands of years. It takes hundreds of years to domesticate an animal. People are not domesticating zoo animals. Um, but they're, they're living the life. Like they have free healthcare. They get the most expensive food, especially if you're talking about a zoo that's accredited and a large zoo like Nashville, like Columbus, like I had mentioned, San Diego, they have money to take care of their animals, even though they're nonprofit zoos, um, because all of the guests money goes to caring for the zoos. Um, not a whole lot is going to us. That's the other thing that we get a lot, like the zookeepers are just in it for the money. We are not. Um, hence why I have a second job and sometimes work a third job. And that is not uncommon amongst zookeepers. Um, and we are animal lovers, which is what that guy asked me before. He was like, do you love animals? Yes. Like I wouldn't do this if I didn't love them. Um, and then he had told me what his, his, uh, boyfriend's girlfriend said. Um, but the reason why they are important to have in zoos is that, um, for example, I'm an animal ambassador keeper. There are so many animals that I work with that people have never seen before. They've never heard of before, or they've seen and heard of an opossum. Um, and not that opossums are in danger, but people honestly have no idea anything about them and why they're important. So a lot of times when people can get close enough to care is what a lot of people like to say. Um, when you see something and like it's a tangible experience as well. So sometimes you might go someplace and you can pet or touch an animal or a snake or whatever it is. It just builds this bigger relationship and kind of you see the bigger picture um, and you love them more. And if you didn't know what they were, that they existed or that their plight existed, 
how would you ever know? And then how would you ever be able to maybe change what you're doing or be able to help them? Um, and the other big thing with the whole uh, zoos and their money, a lot of that money also, other than going to the animals in the zoo, leaves the zoo. It goes elsewhere. It stays either locally for local conservation of animals, um, but it also travels all the way across the country or the world um, to conserve habitats, which again, like if there's no habitat, then there's no wild animals. There's no place to um, release wild animals. A lot of zoos have rehab release programs. Um, I'm pretty sure the Florida manatee would be extinct if it wasn't for SeaWorld. They were the only ones taking them in and rehabbing them and sending them to places like Cincinnati and Columbus to rehab enough to where they can be released. Um, Cause I mean, if our oceans are disgusting or something's ruined, where are you gonna release those manatees to? You can't, then they're stuck in a zoo, which is what we do not want to happen. We want them to go back out into the wild. Um, but I mean, if it wasn't for millions of dollars being sent elsewhere like that from zoos, wild places that still exist today would not exist. Um, so that's another reason why zoos are so important. So A, they teach you about these animals and you get to see them up close and actually start caring about them, but they're saving their wild cousins in the wild and their habitats. And they're educating the people that um, are around them as to, around them as well. Um, I feel like it's a very long answer. <laughs> Am I talking too long? No, it's, no, it's, a, very, it's a very big topic. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great answer. And I think the underlying tone is basically just education. And, uh, you know, as, as we're talking here, I think there's a lack of education in people that come to the zoo. And I like he said, they need to educate themselves. And I thought I was someone that was pretty educated in animals and like what goes on. But one thing I never thought about that you just brought up is a great point is uh, there aren't a lot of places to rehabilitate these animals back into the wild. And I never thought about that aspect of, before. Yeah. Usually I think about uh, you know, either they were born in captivity, so it's hard to be able to, uh, you know, rehab them back into that lifestyle, depending on what type of animal they are, where they live, predators, all that stuff. Um, or maybe they're sick and need to be in, uh, you know, a safer environment so they aren't in the wild and dying. And this is why Sean and I do this, and I love it, because we learn so much about professions otherwise we wouldn't even really know about. Yeah, and that's one thing that I forgot to mention is majority of zoos the majority of animals that are in zoos are not from the wild. They've been born in captivity. Um, and sometimes zoos will send animals to other animals, but you have a lot of animals that, um, it just depends on their innate behavior. Like a gorilla, if it's born in captivity, like you're never going to be able to release it unless you can release the whole family troop in a very safe place. Um, but a lot of, I always am, and am all of ectotherm keepers. So all the keepers that work with all the reptiles um, and the amphibians, because they have the opportunity, no matter where they are, I think to do so much more conservation work where they actually um, will go out and take, um, so one instance is they'll go out and take, um, they'll find, I think it's usually the eggs of alligator snapping turtles, which are endangered. They'll pull them and keep them at the zoo. So that is an instance of taking them out of the wild, but they raise them until they're big enough to where predators can't get them. And then they release them back into the wild because a snapping turtle doesn't need to know how to, they don't have to learn how to be a snapping turtle. You can release most reptiles out there because they don't need any parental care. Um, so that's the easiest thing to do. Um, but yeah, but that happens in a lot of cases. Um, I feel like obviously a lot of people have a lot of feelings about bald eagles. Like that's our national 
emblem or um but any that you see in zoos are like you said they're rehabbed animals that cannot be released um and zoos played a huge part in them coming off the endangered species list because they would breed the ones that they had in the zoo um, and it's not just like free for all there's a species survival plan that is in zoos with a if anyone's familiar with horses and stuff there's a stud book manager and they have all of that one species so one person is in charge of that one species and they have all of the listed individuals that are in zoos um, and then they can pair them up to make sure there's no inbreeding and they're diverse as possible but what they did with those eggs of the bald eagles was they would go put them out in an active nest and then that wild eagle would hatch that other uh, egg and then you had a lot more being born and hatched in the wild, which is what helped them grow their numbers and be able to be taken off of the endangered species list because of Zeus. And that's one thing I don't think anyone really knows about. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And saving those species is so important because everything plays into our ecosystem. You know, you may not know it, but you know, dung beetles are very important to something that's very important to something that's very important to something that affects how we live our lives. So um, it's very important to save every species we can. And something I actually was thinking about when all of these small businesses were taking those hits for COVID was zoos, because, you know, these animals still need care. And I don't even know if you would know this number, but I assume it's insanely expensive to, you know, feed these animals. Like how much meat can one tiger eat in a day? And that's just yeah. one of your thousands of animals. So, um, I guess, do you know that number and how are the zoos able to, you know, survive without the revenue of guests? It's definitely, I feel like our, um, our higher ups or whatever sent us emails out not that long ago that gave us numbers, but I honestly can't remember, but I mean, it costs thousands of dollars, um, probably just within a couple of months. And it depends on the animals that you have. If you have koalas or manatees, that number is going to skyrocket for how much it costs to feed those animals just because they eat so much food. Um, but yeah, I mean like a tiger, or a lion is going to eat several pounds of meat every single day. Um, and then you don't just have one tiger or one lion. Cause usually they're um, well, tigers are usually solitary, but usually you don't just have one of a large animal elephants eat an insane amount of food every single day. Um definitely thousands of dollars. I know our zoo and a lot of zoos were shut down at least from March until June. Some were closed down later. Um, I think I heard one zoo and I can't think of what it was actually had to end up closing its doors because they lost so much money. Um, a lot of zoos left, lost half their year's revenue just in the few months um, that they were closed, which is a very hard hit. Um, so a lot of zoos had to cut a lot of staff. So a lot of people were let go. Um, thankfully, I was not one of those people in my zoo, but a lot of zoos unfortunately had to do that. Um, and when the zoo closed as well, zookeepers and animal care staff generally were the only ones allowed um, there. So a lot of people were on furlough for however long. And then once zoos all over the country started opening back up, I think that was when they really had a better look at their finances when they had to start bringing people back on and realize that just to survive and be able to pay the people that you have to have to keep the zoo running and feed the animals and still 
send money because zoos are still sending money out to conservation efforts during this whole time. Um, they had to unfortunately cut people. Um, but because a lot of zoos have been open for a while now, a, I know a lot of people, because um, I've worked at multiple zoos that are getting their jobs back or other jobs back because the zoo now has a lot more of that revenue coming back in. Um, but it, it definitely was hard, um, especially losing friends and or seeing your friends in other areas losing their jobs because they needed to keep that money for the animals, which is obviously the most important thing. Yeah, it's it's been a crazy year and uh, it's something I have a question about and I don't know if it's true and not that it would be enough meat to feed even a single tiger, but don't zoos work with like sheriff's offices too? So if someone hits a deer and that deer is, the meat is still good, they'll donate it to the zoo uh, for use of animals. Is that true? Some zoos will do that. Okay. So um, especially sanctuaries. So a lot of times sanctuaries don't have the money that um, some zoos have. Um, and a lot of money is also people donating like some people will pass away and like they have here's a million dollars that I want to leave to the zoo which is amazing um but there are a lot and lot of donors that are to thank for zoos that are still open probably because they donated so much money um but generally facilities like a sanctuary that um doesn't always have that for sure income definitely takes advantage of that um, a lot of grocery stores might give them meat that um, that's not like expired, but like meat that they have to throw away for whatever reason. Um, sometimes they'll donate it to whatever zoo will take it. Um, zoos that I've worked at, they've all been um, AZA accredited. Um, so there is a lot more um, restrictions on things and there's a lot more uh things that you have to go through to be accredited so usually like smaller zoos which is why again earlier i said like do your research um aza zoos are usually really good like you can go to them and not really have to like make sure that they're a good zoo um and then smaller zoos sometimes they just don't have the means to be accredited because it can cost so much money to get accredited to make the changes that they need to um but yeah, I think a lot of zoos though too, they'll at least accept um, produce because produce you can easily wash where like meat, like who knows really what's was going on with the deer, even though the deer may have just been hit by a car or something like who knows really a whole lot about where it really came from, I guess, or what it had been eating. Um, but yeah, definitely that happens. Turning the page a little bit here, COVID has impacted everyone and your family's no exception. Uh, your mom unfortunately lost her job due to COVID and can't go back to work because she's high risk. How have you two had to adapt since then and how are you helping your family? Yeah, um, so she moved all the way, which it's not super far here to Nashville um, to live with me for a while, which is, um, I grew up with my grandma. So this is a new thing for me to actually live with my mom. Um, and I'm not, I'm not old, but I'm not like young or anything. Um, but it's been fun. It's been nice to be able to, uh, to live with her and have her here with me. Um, I think it's been tough because I didn't grow up with her and, um, but my dogs like think it's the best thing ever. Cause then they're here all the time with somebody when I'm at work. Um, but yeah, I think at first it was hard because we hadn't 
really ever had this type of relationship. Um, and then my brother kind of went through some hard times due to COVID. So he moved here for a few months. So I have a one bedroom apartment and all three of us were living here. Um, so, I mean, it was fun, but it, it had its times too. It's a lot of people with two large dogs in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> You know, we're mentioning the global pandemic and you, you know, you talked about how some of your friends had lost their jobs. Uh, people are forced into unexpected situations such as your mom uh, and your brother living with you. And I think that there's probably, you know, no worse time for mental health than now with the global pandemic. Um, and not everyone has a financial means to talk to a professional. Um, not a, anyone can afford to, to speak to a professional routinely. So how have you had to cope with the struggles and the mental health aspects of the pandemic or in any other situation you've been in in your life? Yeah, um, I don't, I feel like I probably have coping behaviors that I don't necessarily know that I have. Um, so I know a lot of people went through a lot of deep stuff when the pandemic started because when quarantine happened, we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And then some people lost their jobs. Again, I was fortunate enough um, to not, but I lost my other second jobs just because they were closed. Um, and then hours you actually, when it shut down for a little bit, we were only working four hours a week or not, not a week, a day. Um, but that only happened for like maybe a week or two. But even after we went back to kind of normalish hours, you're just stuck at home all the time and can't see anyone. Um, so that was when a lot of people went downhill. I did not only because I think I've always worked second and third jobs for such a long time that I saw it like as an opportunity. And I don't think I saw it then as an opportunity, but I think a weight was lifted off my shoulders because I didn't have to worry about going to my other jobs and I could just go to work to a job that I love and then come home and hang out with my dogs and not do anything and not have to worry about going to another job. Um, but then when everything started opening back up and I had to start working in, but still couldn't go hang out with anyone or do anything, it all, for whatever reason, hit me probably in November. And I like, I went downhill. Like I, um, don't think I still need to really look into it, but we don't have, I personally don't have the best insurance. Um, so I definitely would not be able to see someone like on a regular basis. And then in my brain, and this might just be like me trying to keep myself down subconsciously, but like, why bother go um, going to talk to someone if I can't keep up with it because I can't afford it. Um, but I definitely became depressed and just, I don't know, it was awful. I hated going to work, which I have a job that I love that I've never hated going to before. Um, and then I hated going to my other job. And I also work seasonally through the winter taking care of reindeer, which last year I loved that. Um, and I just, yeah, like I just hated it all. I still got up every day and I did it, but I just felt more exhausted than I usually did. Um, and I didn't feel like myself. And so I, thankfully I have such good supervisors. I can talk to them about all this stuff. So I was like, I just, I think I'm going in a bad place. Um, and so they were like, you know, we don't care what's going on here. Like you need to take some time off if you need to. Um, and I wanted to wait until later on, which I ended up waiting because, um, someone else was out for a little bit and they were like, no, like we don't care. Like, yes, we'll be short staff, but we, 
we know that you need your time. Um, but I stuck it out. I was like, no, I just feel bad, which, um, is like, I don't know. I feel like you can feel like good about yourself. Like, yeah, I could stick through it, but also you shouldn't always be like that. Like you need to take care of yourself and not always worry about other people. Um, but I stuck it out anyways. And I took a week off, which we work four 10 hour shifts. So week off was like a week and a half. And it took me clear, probably like two days before I had to go back to work to where I finally kind of started feeling like myself again. Um, and it was nice, but then I went back to work and I still wasn't working my second job. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to come back. And then I feel like since then it's not as bad as it has been, but like, I can just feel myself going back downhill. Um, we're like, I just, I need to not keep myself down, which I feel like is a part of depression. Like you just keep burying yourself and you don't want to see the light for whatever reason, even though I do, um, like really look into, I'm sure there are programs out there for people to see someone or talk to someone who have financial hardships. Um, but I just, I feel like I haven't even had the energy to, to do it. If not, that's a great point. There should be, uh, you know, places out there or a number that you can call to talk to people. And uh, it's funny that we talk about this because I feel like I've never really gone through like hard times of depression. I feel like if I do, it's almost like seasonal depression and it doesn't last very long. And I don't know how I would say I got out of it, but Sean and I watched this show and it's called Big Mouth and it's kind of dumb and immature, but there's the, it's like the depression kitty and it's just there and it's like very calming and it just puts a blanket over you and just makes you want to lay in bed all the time. And it's like, I feel like depression for everybody is so different yeah. and the ways to get out of it are so different for other people. It might be working through the depression and getting to see those animals every day and it helps them. And for others, like your situation, you took some time off of work and it made you feel better. So it's almost realizing what the triggers are to help you, you know, take steps out of that dark place. And, you know, you just brought up a great point. I, I, I need to do more research and hopefully there is some maybe nonprofit or organizations out there that do talk to people that have more of a financial burden. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think my takeaway from what you said there, Johnny was, you know, even if you can't talk to a professional, and you weren't able to, you know, be with her, talk to your friends, you were able to talk to your supervisors. And the good thing about having these conversations, you know, on podcasts and on social media and with people close to you is that, um, you know, the awareness and the stigma around mental health is changing. And, you know, before people used to think that, you know, mental health was just a sign of weakness. No, it's, it's very important. And it's amazing that your supervisors did realize that and gave you the time off that you needed. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I don't, I want to say I was surprised, but I honestly wasn't. Um, cause they, especially when COVID happened, a lot of times they always said like, make sure you need to take time for yourself. And like, this is the difference between, um, I guess I can't even think of it right now, but she was like, if you need to binge on food, like not that it's healthy, like you just need to do something for yourself. Like we are all going through such a horrible time right now. Um, just do whatever, talk to whoever, um, but it was, it was really nice that they had my back and they were so understanding. They were like, no, don't wait, like do it now if that's what you need to do. I think that helped you probably grow closer with them too, because I'm sure there's a lot of managers, supervisors out there that honestly, to be quite frank, don't really give a shit about, you know, their employees well-being or mental health. So I think that that made you probably grow a little bit 
uh, more respect towards them that they don't just care about you and the work that you do for their, you know, institution program, whatever, that they genuinely care about you as a person. Oh, for sure. 100%. And then the last question we have for you here is what advice would you give to a person who wants to work towards a career working with animals? Yeah. Um, I'd mentioned earlier, do your research first. Um, and that's just a part of educating yourself period about the field, um, and the career. Cause you don't want to just, I want to work with animals. So I'm just gonna, Oh, this place is hiring or an internship and then get there and it be one of those places that is not doing what's best for the animals. Um, so that's like the very first step. Um, I always tell high school kids just go try to get a four-year degree or for anyone, um, if you have a zoo that you want to work at, or if you know, like the standards that certain zoos have, um, go to job boards like aza.org or azac.org. It's aazk.org. Um, you can just click on the job postings and look and see what they require. Cause not all require a four-year degree. Um, but some do, I've seen some in the past and that's very, some very specific jobs, um, sometimes prefer a master's degree. Um, but also look, if you have the opportunity, look to see what classes are offered in the major. You do not just have to, if you want to be a zoologist or a zookeeper, you don't have to go to school for zoology. That's not like the main thing that you have to go to school for. Um, you don't have to go to school for biology. Um, usually it's any sort of life science is what's going to be the best. If you want to be a keeper like I am and work with animal ambassadors, there are a lot of people that studied theater that get into this or just education that get into this because you have to have presenting skills. So if you studied theater, like you're probably going to be better than some other people because you studied it a little bit more. Um, but just find whatever classes I think fit you the best. So for instance, I changed my major when I it was, I was going to my senior year of college. I looked because I knew I've always been horrible at chemistry. I hate chemistry. I'm bad at it. I don't understand it. I don't really care about it. Um, but I really like biology and I'm good at it. So I was able to look at the classes that were offered and I chose my major based off that. So I had to take lower level chemistries and upper level biologies versus most of the other ones are all lower level bios and upper level chemistries. So I knew I was not going to get through it. So why burden myself and like tear myself down trying to get through these classes that I knew I wasn't going to get through because I had already struggled with those upper level chems in a previous major that I was doing. Um, so I always tell everyone, try to do that if you can. And then just get your experience, get your foot in the door, take internships, um, take seasonal jobs. I worked seasonally at the Columbus Zoo for like four or five years. Um, and don't burn bridges because this field, whether there's zoos all over the world, but we know keepers all over the world. Everyone knows everyone in this field. Um, so if you burn a bridge, you're potentially going to have a very hard time getting back into the field, depending on how badly you burned that bridge. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, we're part of the hockey world and uh, yeah. that's how you bond with players. You go, Oh, who do you know? Oh, I lived with him. Oh, I played with him, yada, yada. And then that's actually how I have my current job is uh, a player I played junior hockey with five years ago before I went to college. 
you know, called me because we still have that relationship. And he goes, Hey, we need, we need a defenseman. Like, are you available? I'm going to talk to my coach about you. And now here I am playing and, you know, actually having a job rather than sitting at home. So yeah, that's awesome. Connections are huge. And uh, it's really cool and unique to hear how, you know, a theater class can help you as a zookeeper. So that's another part of why we love these conversations. And I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, I know we took up a bit of your time here, but it was really cool learning about your field, you know, learning about your personal story and we can't thank you enough. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a great chat and I loved it a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is adversity underscore university. Our Twitter handle is adversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Adversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.